Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit saymythyroid.com forward slash peptides. Hey, this is Dr. Eric, and you may or may not know that when I was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism back in 2008, I chose not to take antithyroid medication. However, this doesn't mean that there isn't a time and place for taking medication, and there also is a time and place for taking herbs such as bugleweed. In this episode, I'll be discussing conventional symptom management options such as antithyroid medication, and in the next episode, I'll be diving into the natural agents. And so let's get started. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, make sure to subscribe on your podcast player. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast. So over the next two episodes, I will be discussing both conventional and natural symptom management tips for those with hyperthyroidism. In this episode, I will focus on conventional symptom management options, including antithyroid medication, beta blockers, as well as a few other methods. And then in the next episode, I'll focus on natural symptom management options, including taking herbs such as bugleweed and motherwort and other natural agents such as L-carnitine. Now, you might wonder, why am I discussing symptom management in the first place? After all, the goal is to save, save your thyroid. And w- whether you're taking antithyroid medication or bugleweed, these are just masking the symptoms, Correct. Yes, that is true, but you also want to be safe while addressing the cause of the problem. So if someone is taking, if, if a patient of mine chooses to take antithyroid medication and or a beta blocker, I'm fine with that. If someone is going to take a natural treatment approach completely and just take bugleweed or motherwort, of course, that that's fine too. But I want you to be safe while addressing the cause of your condition. And that's why we're dedicating some episodes to symptom management. So let's go ahead and dive into conventional symptom management tips for hyperthyroidism. And we're going to start off by talking about antithyroid medication. And this includes methimazole, brand name, tapazole, PTU, carbimazole. Typically, carbimazole is used in other countries and carbimazole converts into methimazole. Although I will say in other countries, they also will use methimazole and PTU. And so antithyroid medication blocks the formation of thyroid hormone, and the dosage varies depending on the person, of course. Some people might start out with a high dose such as 40 to 60 milligrams, and other people will start out sometimes with a lower dose. So frequently it'll be higher dose, but there are some people that start with only 5, 10 milligrams. What happens sometimes is a person will start with a real high dose such as, let's say, 40 milligrams, and they'll become hypo. And so the doctor might panic and then reduce the dosage dramatically to five milligrams. So again, it varies. Some people will be starting with 20 milligrams. And so methimazole works by inhibiting the enzyme thyroid peroxidase, 
And this plays an important role in thyroid hormone formation. So PTU is also a popular option, although not not nearly as popular as methamazole. And one of the reasons is because it puts more stress on the liver. So PTU not only inhibits the thyroid peroxidase enzyme, but also inhibits the enzyme 5-diodinase, which is involved in the conversion of T4 into T3. And the PTU dosage varies between typically 100 milligrams and 300 milligrams per day. So carbimazole, again, this is more commonly recommended in other countries, and it converts into methimazole. And the dosage can range from 5 milligrams to 40 milligrams. Um, So, of course, 40 milligrams would be for more severe cases. As far as antithyroid medication side effects, there could be numerous side effects. Unfortunately, it is common to have side effects when taking antithyroid medication. So a number of people will experience elevated liver enzymes. Sometimes it'll cause depression of the white blood cells. Uh, Some people experience skin rashes, itching, nausea, sometimes joint and muscle pain, dizziness. Some people experience hair loss. That That could vary. Some people will experience hair loss just by being hyperthyroid. And when taking antithyroid medication, the hair loss might improve. But then there are some people who don't experience hair loss until they actually take the antithyroid medication. Headaches also are a potential side effect, a potential symptom of taking the antithyroid medication. So now let's go ahead and talk about beta blockers. So beta blockers mainly help with the cardiovascular symptoms associated with hyperthyroidism, although some beta blockers can also inhibit the conversion of T4 to T3. So beta blockers work by binding to beta adrenoceptors, which are also known as beta adrenergic receptors. And beta adrenergic receptors bind both epinephrine and norepinephrine, which in turn play a role in myocardial metabolism, heart rate, and systolic and diastolic function. So while healthy levels of epinephrine and norepinephrine are important, in hyperthyroidism, these levels are increased, which is what causes the elevations in heart rate and sometimes blood pressure. So not everybody experiences an increase in blood pressure. So when I dealt with Graves' disease, my blood pressure was fine, but I definitely experienced an elevation in my resting heart rate, which is how I first learned that I had hyperthyroidism. So most beta blockers reduce resting heart rate by approximately 25 to 30 beats per minute, which can make a big difference, especially if someone has a resting heart rate in triple digits. So with propranolol, doses can vary from 40 to 160 milligrams per day. Propranolol, probably the most common beta blocker I see given to people with hyperthyroidism. And propranolol, usually taken in divided doses. An example would be 40 milligrams every six hours. So as far as other types of beta blockers besides propranolol, there's atenolol, there's metoprolol, acetabutalol, um, timolol. And so the beta blockers that can block the conversion of T4 to T3 include propranolol, atenolol, metoprolol. There's also one called alpranolol that can block the conversion of T4 to T3. So why are beta blockers recommended to some hyperthyroid patients? Isn't taking antithyroid medication enough? Since antithyroid medication lowers thyroid hormone levels, you figure that most people would just need to take antithyroid medication. Well, one scenario is when someone has a very high resting heart rate, um, which again, the antithyroid medication can help, but also blood pressure. So blood pressure, sometimes if, if it's caused by the elevation in thyroid hormones, so if someone had high blood pressure prior to developing hyperthyroidism, then 
one might conclude that it wasn't caught, that it's not being caused by the elevated thyroid hormone levels. And so a beta blocker might be given in this case, but sometimes they'll be given regardless, especially if the resting heart rate is extremely high, then they might be given both antithyroid medication and beta blockers. And then another scenario is when someone is unable to tolerate antithyroid medication. So maybe the person was given methimazole and they didn't do well on the methimazole. They experienced some of the side effects I mentioned earlier. And so they were told to take a beta blocker. Now, and sometimes in this situation, a person might do okay on a different type of antithyroid medication. So if someone doesn't do well on methimazole, they might do okay with PTU. But it's a flip of the coin. So, uh, many of those people will take PTU and they won't do well. It, it might be worth giving it a try in some situations. But if someone is unable to tolerate any antithyroid medication, then typically the endocrinologist will be talking to the patient about radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery if they haven't done so already. And if the person doesn't want to receive radioactive iodine thyroid surgery, then the endocrinologist may say, okay, well, for now, let's just take the beta blocker. And then uh, scenario number three, when someone is planning on receiving radioactive iodine, they will typically be given a beta blocker. And also when someone has subacute thyroiditis, so subacute thyroiditis usually caused by a, a virus, sometimes a bacteria, but this is a transient or temporary state of hyperthyroidism. And so most doctors, if they diagnose someone with subacute thyroiditis, they won't want to give antithyroid medication, not only because it's temporary, but because it's quite common for people with subacute thyroiditis to eventually become hypothyroid. So the last thing they want is to someone to be on antithyroid medication, and then a month or two down the road, or maybe a few months down the road, they become hypothyroid, and then at the same time, they're taking antithyroid medication. So they might give a beta blocker instead. As for side effects of beta blockers, some of the common side effects of beta blockers include drowsiness, fatigue, dizziness, weakness. Uh, there are other less common side effects, uh, which include dry mouth, dry eyes, dry skin, sometimes diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, cold hands and feet. Some people have also reported decreased sex drive, shortness of breath, as well as sleep disturbances. Also, it's important to mention that certain beta blockers can inhibit the production of coenzyme Q10 or CoQ10. So, and this includes propranolol and metoprolol. So if you're taking one of these beta blockers, you might want to consider supplementing with CoQ10. And CoQ10 has many important functions, but it's probably most well known for its role in mitochondrial health. And mitochondria, these are the energy powerhouses in our cells. So, and as so again, as a result, if anyone is taking propranolol or metoprolol, might want to consider taking, I would say, 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams of CoQ10 in the form of ubiquinone, or you could take ubiquinol, but if you take ubiquinol, you won't need as high of a dose. Now I'd like to discuss low-dose naltrexone or LDN. So naltrexone is an FDA-approved medication, and in 1985, Dr. Bernhard Bahari realized that it can modulate the immune system. And LDN can benefit autoimmunity as well as other health conditions such as cancer. And as far as LDN in the research, the research shows that LDN might act as an anti-inflammatory agent and also can help with chronic pain. LDN can benefit those dealing with the pain associated with fibromyalgia and can also be helpful for some people with gastrointestinal disorders such as SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. 
It is commonly recommended as a prokinetic for people with SIBO. LDN might also help some people with active Crohn's disease. And then it's also worth mentioning that if low-dose naltrexone is effective in someone with hyperthyroidism that is taking antithyroid medication, then the person might not need to take antithyroid medication any longer. Or maybe they'll need to take a lower dose of antithyroid medication because what it's doing, it's calming down the immune system. So this is specific really for Graves' disease. If someone has toxic multinodular goiter, or a different, well, it depends. If it's Hashi toxicosis, that's autoimmune too. But let's say the case of Graves' disease, which is an, an autoimmune condition. So if LDN works, it doesn't always work, but if it does work and calms down the immune system, the person might not need to take antithyroid medication or they might require a lower dose of antithyroid medication. You know, I mentioned earlier, not everyone does well when taking antithyroid medication. So this could be a great benefit for someone who is allergic to methimazole or maybe not even allergic, but just has certain side effects or has elevated liver enzymes or depressed white blood cell count, or maybe they switch to PTU and they have a similar side effect. So LDN is something that's worth considering. So again, so in some cases, LDN might help someone to avoid radioactive iodine and thyroid surgery who is unable to take antithyroid medication. So you might be wondering, are there risks with taking low-dose naltrexone, taking LDN? So one risk is that LDN doesn't do anything to address the cause of the problem, but of course, neither does antithyroid medication, such as methimazole or PTU. Another risk is that LDN doesn't always work. So methimazole, PTU, antithyroid medication almost always works. Now, again, the problem is that side effects are common, but they usually do their job LDN is more hit or miss. Also, it's, it's important to mention that LDN can have a negative effect on sleep. So most people will take LDN at night and sometimes it can cause sleep disturbances. And this many times can be helped by just taking LDN during the day, like early in the day. How about getting a prescription for LDN? Because again, you need a prescription. You can't just order it online on your own or go into a health food store because again it is a, a medication it's just one that has less side effects a lot less side effects than antithyroid medication so that's why i'm talking about it here so many medical doctors unfortunately they're not open to prescribing ldn although more are open now than a number of years ago so it's definitely worth asking your primary care doctor uh, what you might want to do is if you can't get a prescription from your primary care doctor, perhaps you could contact some of the local pharmacists, even just local pharmacists like in a CVS or Walgreens or just a mom and pop pharmacist and just ask multiple pharmacists or at least start out with one or two and see if they know doctors who prescribe LDN. Because again, the pharmacists, of course, they're the ones that fill the prescriptions. So you would think that they would know who is, who's writing the prescriptions and then they could refer you to one or more doctors, but there are other options. So you might want to check out the website ldnscience.org and you could do a search for doctors in your area who might prescribe LDN. And another option is to set up a remote consultation with a doctor who is willing to prescribe LDN. So there's ldndirect.com and then ldndoctor.com are websites where you could visit and you pay a fee to speak with the practitioner and they almost always will write a prescription for LDN. Next, I want to talk about cholestyramine. So again, LDN is something to definitely consider if you're unable to tolerate 
antithyroid medication. Although, of course, I'll also be talking about in the next episode about natural agents such as bugleweed. So to me, the, the bugleweed might be a better option before resorting to other types of medications. But bugleweed doesn't work for everyone. So if someone is taking antithyroid medication and it doesn't work, and you know they try bugleweed and it's a, or I, I should say if they take antithyroid medication and they're experiencing side effects and they take the bugleweed and it doesn't work then LDN is something to consider taking but then there's also cholestyramine and cholestyramine is actually a bile acid sequestrant so it's not primarily used for hyperthyroidism so what it does it binds to certain components of bile which in turn disrupts the enterohepatic circulation of bile acids and bile acid sequestrants are commonly used for lowering cholesterol or for the treatment of chronic diarrhea, especially when the cause is due to bile acid malabsorption. Cholestyramine also could be used in cases of toxic mold to bind to mycotoxins. However, cholestyramine has also been shown to interfere with the enterohepatic circulation of endogenous thyroid hormones, which is increased in hyperthyroidism. So simply put, it binds to thyroid hormones and then the hormones are excreted by the body. So in most cases, the dosage of cholestyramine used, uh, at least in the studies, was uh, four grams three times per day. As far as side effects of cholestyramine, the main side effects of cholestyramine include constipation as well as abdominal discomfort. And although I'm not aware of evidence which shows that cholestyramine causes significant liver damage, mild elevation in the liver enzymes sometimes will occur. So as far as getting a prescription for cholestyramine, again, you, you do need prescription from a medical doctor, just like with antithyroid medication or beta blockers or low-dose naltrexone. So it might be challenging getting a prescription for cholestyramine. I can't say I've had a lot of patients get a prescription for cholestyramine, just a, a couple, honestly, up until this point. But what they did is they just spoke with the doctor and they showed the doctor the research and there is research on there on my website i do have at least one article on cholestyramine where i have links to the research probably not a good idea to show them my article because they probably would not want to know that you're getting that advice from me but if you show them the journal articles which discusses cholestyramine for hyperthyroidism, they probably would be more open to writing prescription. Not that you can't tell them that you're looking to take a natural approach. That, of course, is up to you, but they usually don't want to take orders from other doctors, most endocrinologists, assuming you're working with an endocrinologist. Again, just make sure you let them know the research is from published journal articles. Yeah, so that's all I want to discuss with regards to conventional symptom management. So most people will start off by taking antithyroid medication. Uh, for those who choose to take medication, some people, again, won't. And we'll talk more about natural options in the next episode. But usually antithyroid medication will be the first option. Some people will be given beta blockers. But if someone doesn't do well on the antithyroid medication, and uh, I mean, they, they'll be put on the beta block. thing with the beta blocker, though, even the, some beta blockers affect conversion of T4 to T3, which is good because it lowers T3, but still it's not the same as antithyroid medication. So beta blocker is really more for the cardiovascular symptoms. And there's other risks of having elevated thyroid hormone levels, such as decreased bone density. So LDN can lower thyroid hormone levels indirectly by affecting immune system, 
and then cholestyramine directly affects the thyroid hormone level. So if someone, again, is unable to take antithyroid medication, and let's say the natural agents that we'll discuss in the next episode aren't too effective, then they might want to consider taking either LDN or cholestyramine. All right, so let's go ahead and summarize what I just discussed. So antithyroid medication is commonly given to lower thyroid hormone levels. Side effects are common, but of course, everything comes down to risk versus benefits. Beta blockers mainly help with the cardiovascular symptoms. However, certain beta blockers can affect the conversion of T4 to T3. So essentially, they're indirectly lowering T3 levels by affecting that conversion process. Low-dose naltrexone and cholestyramine. So these are options to consider for those with hyperthyroidism who can't tolerate antithyroid medication. I will mention that some people will take LDN and antithyroid medication at the same time because the antithyroid medication, such as methimazole, will lower the thyroid hormone levels, and then they might still take LDN to modulate the immune system. On the other hand, if someone is on antithyroid medication and it's working fine and they're not having any side effects, then there's really no sense to add cholestyramine. And both LDN and cholestyramine require prescription. Of course, everything I just mentioned, antithyroid medication, beta blockers, as well as LDN and cholestyramine require prescription. And I'll be discussing natural agents in the next episode. So thank you so much for tuning in. And speaking of the next episode, I look forward to hopefully catching you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks again for listening to this episode. One thing you might not know about me is that I enjoy visiting different types of amusement parks as it's a nice escape from reality. My family and I have been to many different amusement parks throughout the United States. I absolutely love roller coasters and I bring this up because for those interested in taking a natural treatment approach for the hyperthyroid condition, sometimes one's progress resembles a roller coaster ride. In other words, while the goal is to achieve gradual improvement over time, it's common to hit roadblocks while trying to restore your health. On a side note, if this podcast takes off, I might end up building my own amusement park called Save My Thyroid Land. And so this is yet another reason for you to subscribe to my podcast and give a review. And if you do leave a review, just don't mention anything about amusement parks or roller coasters. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties, and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.